0: This is the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Three, two, one, and welcome everybody to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your humble uh, and harried post, uh, host, not post, host, (laughs) John Allen. And uh, today my guest is Adam O'Shea. Hi, Adam.
1: Hi. Nice to be here.
0: It's good to have you here, man. How's, uh, How's life? How's things going?
1: Life is real good. Um, you know, my work's going good. Family's going great. We just, uh, finally eliminated Donald Trump. So hopefully we can start to get our, our former countries, uh, or our current countries, I guess, yeah. back on track. So things have been going good lately.
0: Uh, do you feel like it's been a big, you know, and, and for those who are listening, don't don't turn off this episode and run away because we're talking about Trump and politics. This episode is not going to be just about that. But of course, this is a current event. It's a big event for 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 those of us who are Americans. But but let me ask you this, Adam, is is I, I felt a physical change (laughs) when it was finally announced that Biden won? How did that hit you? Did you get, did you get that, that, you know, the chills down your spine and that good, uh, that good endorphin rush?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, when we saw the footage of the Americans celebrating the street, I felt like it was the first time that people were happy you know, there's been protests and, and demonstrations, and they all have this tone of anger. And I, I'm really happy to see my fellow, fellow Americans celebrating. It's I something noticed, to feel good about.
0: Yeah, I noticed that, too. Uh, they were in the streets. There was a lot of people in the streets, and it was smiles all around. You know, before, for these last weeks, these last months, people are out there regardless of which side they're on. And they have this look of being in a state of combat, almost a military seriousness in their face. But this time they were happy, man. And it was just like, yes, that is America.
1: That is America. And you nailed it. It's a physical sensation. I feel relief. I feel happiness where it's been so tense and so angry for years you know we need to really come together and learn to love each other again and start to build back better
0: i'm i'm glad you said that because i i do believe it has to do with love uh since when do americans hate each other like what we've seen and i'm sorry i don't want to put any kind of false equivalency out there um uh, I do believe that the, 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 the pure hatred is coming from the right and not from the left. There is a certain amount of arrogance that the left has. You know, all these hillbillies and these uh, you know these redneck hillbillies, they don't know what they're talking about. They're just following Trump because of this, that, and the other. So there's that, that, that left, that, that, uh, that Democratic arrogance that's there. But these Trump supporters, they really hate all things Democrats.
1: Yep. And I think that a lot of that hatred does come from the arrogance. I think what really turns them off is this, you know, their image of this East Coast or West Coast elitist attitude that they didn't feel like they were adequate. So the way they reacted to that was to come at the left side with anger and hatred. And I just I hope we can evolve past this. You know, I I don't hate people on the left, on the right. I hope they don't hate me. You know, and we just need to work as one together.
0: Well, I will say this the reason why I was about 60 seconds late, because I'm usually very precise about my time, but I was about a minute late uh, calling you up to get this started, is because I was in the middle of a, uh, let's call it a discussion on my Facebook wall. And, and I don't, I usually don't get angry at Trump supporters, but this motherfucker was, was, uh, yeah, well, I just called him a motherfucker, so that says a lot
1: right yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so.
0: Well, what this, I this, was that, a, this was a Norwegian Trump supporter, by the way. He wasn't yep. even American. This was a Norwegian Trump supporter, which was a very, uh, I, I don't know, that's an interesting thing to be, a Norwegian Trump supporter.
1: Yes. What I think we need to do, though, is to not gloat. And to Please. not rub it in their exactly. face. exactly. Resist the urge. It's so easy for me to go on now Facebook and find all those oh, friends that yeah. said all these awful things to me for years and go, ha ha, yeah. you know, elections matter, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But we need to resist that urge. And- yeah.
0: You know, and I, I actually I don't have there's really nothing for me to resist there. Um, I don't have any desire to do that. I really, I really don't. Um I don't know that's just not the way I am but however I, I have uh, written a few lines for my stand up routine uh mm-hmm. that kind of uh yeah basically sure. basically is gloating but it's in a professional comedic way which I think is a little different.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Poetic license with comedy.
0: Thank you. <laughs> hey you know um the reason I have you on um now my listeners know that I ask people to be guests on my podcast when they are people whom I admire, or I look up to, or they, they've, they've inspired me in some way. Um, most of my guests are people that I didn't know before they were guests, and you fall into that category. Um, we've only recently become aware of each other's uh, existence on, on social media, um, which is rather easy to do seeing as we are both Americans in Norway. So right away, right away, we have something in common. Mm -hmm. But then there's that aspect of you that inspires me. I think you have a rather, it seems to be a rather dynamic work life here in Norway. Can you talk about that? What do you do for a living here?
1: Yes. Well, I'm a scientist. I work for a company here called Nordic Nanovector. Um, For the past 20 years of my career, I've been working in cancer research. So, um... What I do is try to develop more specialized um, targeted medicine. One of the issues with cancer is that a lot of the treatments, although they're fantastic, they involve chemotherapy or radiation therapy, which is kind of a whole body thing. And what we try to do is to target just the cancer cells and kill just those cells to mitigate the side effects.
0: Let me ask you this. Is it true that um, that radiation therapy, chemotherapy at times is the actual cause of death in cancer patients? It's not the cancer that progressed and killed them, but rather that their body, they could not tolerate the chemotherapy. Is that true? I've heard that.
1: I would somewhat disagree with that. Okay. I would somewhat disagree with that. I think, you know, we see the ravages, and I think everyone has people in their family that have gone through this experience, and it's quite devastating, but if we didn't do these mitigating strategies with chemotherapy or radiation therapy, whole body radiation therapy, that is, then the cancer would probably progress worse or just as bad, so I tend to err on the side of science, listen to the doctors, and... You know, I, I know that these treatments are very tough on people. I just lost yes. a brother, actually. Oh, I'm um, sorry. It was, it's, it's okay. But, um, but I tend to lean with the scientists and just trust the doctors and trust the medicine and go with what they say because they're going to give you your best chance. They have years of research and studies that they've been compilating and trying to figure out how to target the best types of chemotherapies or the best types of immunotherapies and, a, and the combinations of these which give the best prognosis. Yeah. So I, I really lean more with the doctors, as tough as those therapies are. Sure, it's sure. better than the cancer, I think.
0: No, and, and I have to say I, I I lean towards the doctors as well. But it but but that is something that comes up from time to time in different forums where people are uh, speculating in you know the damage that the that the chemotherapy itself does that that is actually worse than the cancer. I, I find that hard to believe, but there are a certain number of people out there who do believe that. Um, You'll find people
1: that believe everything on oh, everything. Oh, as we have seen,
0: <laughs> as we have seen. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, um, okay. So you, you go to work, uh, you walk through the door uh, of your laboratory, you put on your little white coat and you start working on cancer research. What does yes. that entail? What, what is that?
1: Well, in, in this past year, I've moved more into a managerial position as opposed to a bench scientist okay. um, position. But when I was working on the bench, it would involve doing a bunch of experiments, which we call assays. And these would usually be involved with taking live cancer cells that we are able to culture in the lab and then testing our different therapies and seeing how easily we can kill the cells and not kill other cells that don't express the target of interest.
0: So you actually get to sit there and go to war with those cancer cells.
1: Oh, it's it's very beautiful. Actually, that I really enjoy fascinating. that. Fascinating.
0: That has to be. I I know when I'm sitting and I'm watching Discovery Channel and they go into some sort of you know medical research, cancer research, or whatever it may be, and they're showing these you know uh, they're showing film of the actual cells and and how the white cells, white blood cells, will attack the virus and so on and so forth. And it's just it's just fascinating to think that we can actually have uh, we get to we get to peek into that little world there. And actually go to war against it, and hopefully have some. I mean, do do you feel important? <laughs> uh,
1: then, well, I first have to say that I am certainly standing on the shoulders of giants, yeah. and yes. and that my colleagues are wonderful people. That that certainly we rely on each other for teamwork and help and support. Um, you know, there's also a lot of frustration and failure that's involved with being. A oh, scientist.
0: absolutely, I can imagine. I can imagine. So
1: it's, it's, it, you do have those moments where, okay, look, this drug's really going to work, you know, and you try to advance it, and it's really exciting, and you get to present it or publish it, and that's it's really a beautiful experience. Yeah,
0: I, I was going to ask you, have you ever been uh, at a in a position where you feel like you're right on the edge of some sort of breakthrough, and then you get that disappointment? Because, you know, we have, to, we have to recognize that there have been... How do I say this? You know, of course, there's been progress in cancer research and the treatment uh, in, in the battle against cancer. But but there's probably been more failures than successes, I would
1: imagine. Yep. The failures are actually kind of beautiful because it shows you what not to do. My My biggest frustration in drug development comes from the business side of it. Uh, Is that sometimes we work on drugs that have a whole lot of promise and potential, but because of certain financials and we don't have the support for it, then those programs get stopped where I really think they should have been developed more. So it's more that end that I get my frustration from.
0: Well, how can, can we talk a little bit about the money side of things when it comes to cancer research here in Norway? versus the situation in the United States, you know, Mm -hmm. um, are there any benefits to Norway being uh, a country that is based on democratic socialism uh, with a pretty big change purse? (laughs) You know, there's a lot of money here in Norway. Are there advantages to that contra what we see in the United States?
1: There are definitely advantages to that. Um, In America, most of it is investors and venture capital that support these companies where We do get a significant of tax money spread out amongst the different biotechnologies companies here. Um, So it's it's yeah, I would say that definitely the environment here is a a lot less cutthroat and a lot less pro development. And I think that that reflects on kind of the. Norwegian socialist Democrat society that we're here to help each other. We're here to advance things. We're not here to just make money.
0: So, so you, in your position of middle management, you don't get into the, to the financing of the research at all, do you?
1: Well, I have to, I have to maintain a budget and I have to, you know, see what assets we have and stretch that budget and make sure that we maximize it. But, um, I don't go out and try to raise money. I'm not in that type of position.
0: You won't go out and run a marathon and give uh, <laughs> and 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 charge well, act- one hundred kroners per uh, per per kilometer or something.
1: My company is involved with Active Macraft. Yes, and um, so we always have representation in the Oslo Marathon. I'm not much of a runner myself, um, <laughs> admittedly. That's two of us. <laughs> but you know those organizations are good because they let the community be involved. Now, sure, uh, and they
0: be and they bring awareness to the issue. Yeah.
1: Yes, definitely. But uh, I think that the environment here is really good. Norway made a decision probably about maybe 10 years ago where they realized that it wasn't going to be oil money forever. So they have put a real conscious effort into investing into different types of technology and what better technology to invest in than biotechnology yes. and medicine. Yeah. And so I think we've really done a good job in this country of diversifying away from just being an oil producing country and really investing in the future.
0: So in the foreseeable future, there's no, um, there's no um, worries about financing the, the, the cancer research being done here in Norway. It's a, you, you have a secure budget, in other words.
1: More or, less. More or less. I tend to work for a lot of startup companies that it seems to, you know, we do have a limited runway and we have to really show good clinical results and results in a short period of time. But um, I think the financing is there. I think that the commitment by the Norwegian government is there. And mm. that's a lot different than what, what, what it was like when I was back in the United States.
0: What, uh, can you talk numbers? What kind of uh, budget do you have to work with?
1: Uh, I don't know if I can get into that. Uh, There's probably uh, this some podcast. disclosure,
0: some dis- disclosure <laughs> yeah. issues and whatnot. But, but, you, feel, but you, you feel secure in the budget that you have to work with, that it's enough for you to be able I to do the work that you feel needs to be done.
1: It's also, it's very expensive work. The materials that we work with are extremely expensive. The equipment that we work with is extremely expensive. And then you got to pay the salaries of all the employees as well. So it is expensive, but it works here. It works.
0: What I find fascinating is that you, you know, of course we, we, we're all different. We are far from a monolith. We uh, Americans who live here in Norway, uh, some of us have had it rough as far as finding a career, some of us have, have, you know, I've sailed through my financial life and my career here in Norway with, with no problems. Um, how did you land this job? Um, now, I know you had the education and the experience already from the States, correct?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Well, but what kind of challenges did you face breaking into that academic world, that, that, that science world here in Norway? Um, because I would imagine I would imagine and this is this is a long formulation of this question, but just around that round it off, I would like to say I would imagine that there are some extra challenges being a foreigner coming into such a exclusive field of work. I've experienced that to a certain degree myself. I know other Americans have as well. So tell your story about getting into this field here in Norway.:
1: It wasn't easy. No. It wasn't easy, as you alluded to. Um, when I first came over here, it was 10 years ago. Um, just a little backstory on that. My wife and I had a child. We were living in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And um, what we realized after putting our son in daycare, which was extremely expensive, is that we were dropping him off in the morning and not seeing him all day oh. and then picking him up at 6 o'clock at night. So we looked at each other and go, what are we doing here? You know, we need, we're going to miss out on the raising of our child yeah. if we have to live this kind of lifestyle. So that's kind of when we made the decision to move over here. So when we first came over here, um, I wasn't able to get a job because I didn't have a residency permit. Right. So the wife went and got a job. Her first job was a temporary job. So um, her salary didn't count as a full-time salary. So when I first applied for residency, they rejected my application. Oh, wow. So it was a very stressful time. Wow, <laughs> I know, I know. It and you had stressful. already,
0: and and you had already dropped everything in the states. You probably sold all your possessions, your home, and what everything. And here you everything. are, and they're telling you your residency is denied.
1: So it was a little bit hairy at that point in time. Um, but what happened was is that when my son was enrolled in Barnahagen, which is uh, preschool daycare for any uh, non-Norwegians here. Yeah. That's when I was, um, I went on Finn and I started to get my CV out there and I was very fortunate to be interviewed and finally employed by a company called Algeta yes. that worked, yeah. that was, that worked in my field. Um, I have, I have a lot of experience working with monoclonal antibodies, um, and not to get too nerdy. Okay. I'll, I'll keep it. No, simple. Go ahead get nerdy. <laughs> But we've heard this word antibody being thrown around now with COVID and different treatments, but what antibodies are, are they are specialized proteins that are made by B cells and they target a specific protein that are on the surface of cells. So if you can genetically engineer these antibodies to target just the proteins that are just on the cancer cells, you can just kill those cancer cells Wow. Um, so yeah, it's really cool stuff. Thereby, and you,
0: thereby potentially bringing an end to the need for chemotherapy, which basically attacks the whole body.
1: Exactly, exactly. And sometimes the binding to the cancer cell will be enough to kill it. But often that's not enough. So what I've been doing in my career is to add an extra weapon to the antibody. In my case, it's a nuclear weapon. It's lutetium one seventy seven. So what we do. So when we talk about weapons development, I kind of feel like I'm in the in the war against cancer, and I'm a weapons developer more than a scientist.
0: Hey, I called it a war against cancer. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Yeah, but I was. It, it was not easy though breaking into the. Norwegian workforce. There's mm-hmm. a lot of competition for jobs like mine. There are kids coming out of Trondheim that are very talented and very special that can there certainly do, academic, do some great work.
0: Yeah, there is an academic world up there in Trondheim for science that is just, yeah, it's world class. It's world class. Yeah.
1: yeah. One advantage I did have being in this high-tech field that other expats may have a challenge with is the language issue. And that is because it's a high tech field, everyone speaks English and all our publications are in English and our presentations and our meetings are all in English. So that was a real advantage that I kind of had as I opposed see. to some people in other industries.
0: Yeah. You pretty much have to be a dumb podcaster and just speak English if you're going to try and make it in Norway, <laughs> uh, if you're not an academic. <laughs> no, that that is um, that is interesting that the working language in, in certain fields, certain higher end Uh, fields is english and you will see a lot of native english speakers gravitating to that kind of work if they have the background and education for it
1: yep at at the lunch table and socially that's a different story
0: i was going to ask you about that when you're not at work do you feel left out do you feel a little bit isolated because of the language issue or let me just ask you how is your norwegian how is your norwegian
1: My Norwegian is is good. Okay. It's good. It's maybe a notch below yours. I heard you on NRCO last week, and like I said, I was shocked as to how good your Norwegian is. But (laughs) you bring up a very good point is that I have to do this thing in my brain where I translate everything. I have this extra step where it causes a lot more energy and and angst. It really does. I think when I speak Norwegian.
0: Yeah, it's like I was telling you at that last, uh, that first phone call we had. And and thanks for the compliment, by the way. Um, And yeah, I I do speak Norwegian quite well, but it is not easy because there's, and it only takes, you know, what, a microsecond, however long it takes to jump from one neuron to another for the language to come out of the brain. But that process over time is tiring. Um, I would like to be a foreigner who can speak Norwegian and not get tired from it, but I'm not there yet. I speak it well, yep. but it is a Herculean effort. It really
1: is. Yeah. I work on it, too. I've been trying, you know, to really watch more Norwegian programs, kind of watch the news in Norwegian. Um, okay. A friend of mine at a party recommended to read Donald Duck in uh, Norwegian, and actually hey, I've started to do that, and I think it's helped a lot.
0: Hey, man, pick up uh, pick up Calvin and Hobbes, or Tomio Tegan, as, as they call it here. Pick up Calvin and Hobbes. It's so much better than uh, Donald Duck.
1: Okay. Pretty I got nice. I, they,
0: they suggested for me that I should um that I should read Donald Duck comics and it, I just I've never been a Disney fan. Mm-hmm. Uh but Calvin and Hobbes I, okay. I was I've always been a fan of that so I picked up the Norwegian version of that. That yeah. uh, that helped a lot but also listening to music um you know getting a CD or an album and reading the Norwegian lyrics as I'm listening to them singing in Norwegian. I did that as well when I first got yep. here. So
1: another disadvantage we have is that As Americans, everyone here speaks English. So all my friends and family, although the family now, my in-laws have been forcing me to speak Norwegian, and they'll they'll start to only speak Norwegian to me. But I think that's a good thing. I need to get better. It's hard.
0: I speak Norwegian socially, except for when I'm working. You know, if I'm working directly with music, if I'm in the studio with someone, or if I'm performing on stage, that music world... Is in English for me mm-hmm. because I, I have to be myself. And then when I do my stand up, I do that in English as well. But otherwise, socially and anything job related, uh, I, I do it in Norwegian. And if someone wants to speak English to me, that's fine. But I always answer in Norwegian because I could see myself getting spoiled speaking too much English and then losing my Norwegian skills. And I'm terrified of that happening. So,
1: yeah, you, you allude to a good thing there is that. I can't be myself in Norwegian yet. Exactly. I can't really express myself the way that I want to express myself. I can speak, you know, nice, polite Norwegian in a conversation with a stranger or or at a party, and that's fine. But if you really want to talk to me about something, you you have to switch to English. And I'm working on that. I really want to get to the level where I'm completely fluent and can think and feel in Norwegian but I haven't reached that threshold yet.
0: So so what do you do in the house then as far as the language? Do you switch back and forth depending on who you're talking to, whether it's your wife or your kids? or Do, do you just speak English, or how, how do you work it out at home?
1: Uh, well, at home, we only speak English. Okay. Um, and I think that that was a good decision because my son right now is amazing at English. In how, fact, how old is he? he he's 10, so okay. he's in the fourth grade. And actually, during his English classes now, he assists the teacher And goes around and helps the other kids. And I I love that. That makes me feel really good.
0: It's a a source of pride for me as well. Uh, Our kids here are 15 and 13. And the 15-year-old is taking one grade higher English. And our 13-year-old son is taking two grades higher in English.
1: Okay, great.
0: And, yeah, it's a source of pride. Absolutely. But what we do here at home is I speak English only to Snoopy, my wife. Mm -hmm. Uh, she speaks only English with me the kids I speak only English with them and I insist that they speak English back sometimes if they forget I just ignore them which is great because they talk too much in general (laughs) so so it's English back and forth between me and the kids and the kids will speak only Norwegian to their mother and she will speak Norwegian to them so that the kids are basically getting it 50-50 language wise at home And that puts them in a position to where they're fully capable. You know, their English is flawless. They speak just like I do. Poor things. (laughs) But that enables them to be able to (laughs) call call home and speak to grandma and their cousins and and aunts and uncles and everything with no problems.
1: You can probably hear it in their accent, too. They probably, my son speaks with a very clear American accent. Yes. You know, so you would think he was from the United States. Yeah. You know, so and I find that different sometimes with one well, of the Norwegian kids. It's kind of cool now, too, because his friends come over and they test their English out on me. Mm. They're all excited. They learn a couple of new words. Hey, nice to see you. You know, and, and <laughs> I, I think that's really special. Yeah. And I, I enjoy that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, for me, it's it's all about relaxing and being myself. And when I'm at home, I just want to lower my shoulders, breathe out, be myself and speak English. But yeah. uh it's it's uh, I think it's good that my wife continues to speak Norwegian. I'm sorry to speak uh, English with me. For her own sake, because for a while when I first came here, we tried that out with her and I just speaking Norwegian with each other and it didn't work for a couple of reasons. One, it was just weird to all of a sudden speak Norwegian with this lady who I had been with and been married to for, at that point, a couple of years. It was just weird to start speaking a different language. Your relationship is in English. Exactly, exactly. And Then the other thing is, is that her English skills started to crash and burn really quickly. And, and, and she didn't want that. So, so, uh, it's just English between her and I. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But let let me, let me go back to your, uh, to this exciting job that you have. How long is your work day? Do you follow the traditional, um, what is it? 30, 35, 37 and a half hour work week, like most Norwegians have?
1: Um, I think with my particular job, it spills over a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are sometimes I have to take calls to the United States, for example, and it becomes a, a later call or, um, we have some budgets to do or experiments to set up and so forth. So it's almost like a lifestyle for me <laughs> where I get up in the morning. Fortunately with my job these days, it's a lot of meetings and a lot of Skype meetings and teams meetings and so forth. So I do have the opportunity to work from home. Okay, um, great. which is which is a big advantage. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's it's. I I close my laptop on Friday and try to enjoy the weekend as much as I can. Yeah. But I think about work a lot. <laughs> I and, can imagine. And uh, it's really kind of a lifestyle for me more than just a nine to five kind of.
0: Have you ever been uh, burnt out on that job?
1: At times. Yeah, it, it, can be, it can be really tough. Um, as much as you uh,
0: enjoy it, you can still get in a situation where you're overdoing it and you're kind of burnt
1: out and you need a break. Yeah, but, you know, I feel like I'm in the game. And yeah. I feel like that's a, it's an exciting game to be in. You know, at some point I'll retri- retire and be able to enjoy science from an outside perspective. And I think that's going to be great. But right now I really like being in the game and yeah. I enjoy my job. And it's, it's, it's a rush for me. It's a thrill. Can I ask
0: how old you are?
1: I am 44. Just turned 44.
0: 44, a young cat. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, and I don't how? Not that, but. <laughs>
0: oh, 44. I remember 44. I do remember 44. <laughs> uh, and how old were you when you were finished with your college education and then into the workforce doing what you do? What you're doing?
1: Well, that, that's an interesting story. I. Um, Tell I us. finished my on. Un- I finished my undergraduate in 1999 from University of Maryland. And at that point in time, I really didn't want to continue to go on to any graduate school. I want to get out there and get into the workforce and, and do something. I had been in school for 18 years and let me just get out there and do that. Yeah. And so I went into the workforce right away. I got some jobs. I was fortunate to live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where there's a lot of biotech and a lot of um, technology companies. So I worked there for a few years and I realized that in order for me to really advance my career, I did need to have some more education. So, so what I did was there was a, a very nice program out of Harvard university where they would take professionals like me that didn't immediately go to grad school after their undergraduate. And what you had to do was you had to take three classes and get an A in them and then have a couple letters of recommendation and then they would accept you into their graduate program. Okay. And that was a real great opportunity for me because at that point I really need I realized that I need a little more education, a little more of that type of um, experience. So what happened was I didn't finish this master's program until I moved to Norway. Oh, so okay. Okay. So I had finished up most of my classes. I had four classes remaining in my master's program yeah. and I was able to finish those online. And in fact, I had to take an exam in Oslo a couple of times I had to pay a service to have a proctor watch me take an exam. I see. But it worked out. So I only recently finished my master's degree probably about six or seven years ago.
0: Okay. Well, that's just beautiful that you were able to do that because, again, to just to compare with uh, some of the issues that other Americans in Norway have had, there are people who are... <sighs> Yeah, they're almost crushed because, for whatever reason, they, were, they, they had to drop everything. They had to move to Norway. And, and, and it was a break in their education. And they have not been able to get it back up and running again because of the in, inability to do it online or for, you know, it's not transferable to Norway. So that's, uh, that's a stroke of uh, luck that you were able to do
1: that. I- and I can't stress that enough. I've had a lot of opportunity and a lot of luck in my life. Man, that's so beautiful. That's beautiful. As, as, as much as I want to take credit for working hard and taking all those tough <laughs> no, classes. But it's you know really- But you know
0: what? Take credit for that because I, I'm a believer in... there. There is such a thing as luck and, and, and fortune. But if you don't do the work to position yourself to recognize the luck and the fortune and the opportunity when it's there, then luck and fortune and opportunity mean nothing. So that's... Um, Oops! Somebody tried to call me. Uh, so that is a uh, you know that's to be commended. Not everybody is in a proper position to take advantage of those things.
1: Thank you for saying absolutely, so. But I, I do really do appreciate the opportunity and luck that I've had. Hey,
0: I'm, I'm just trying to be nice to you. You might save my, <laughs> you might save my life one day.
1: <laughs> I hope so. Well, I hope you don't get non hodgkins lymphoma, and I have to save your <laughs> life. Let's let's hope for that route instead. Ooh,
0: a little a little dark comedy here. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you, um, so you're doing this cancer, uh, research thing. It's a serious job. Um, you, you enjoy it, uh, obviously, but it is stressful. What do you do to unwind?
1: Well, my main activity, and I mentioned to you this, I think in a, in a, maybe on the phone, but I, I like to play music. Yeah. So I'm a guitar player. I've been playing since I was a teenager, mostly heavy metal style, Slayer, Pantera, that type of music.
0: Oh, man, Pantera,
1: yes. Um, and that's a really good release for me because when I'm playing music, it forces me to be in that space.
0: When, you, when you're playing music, everything else just
1: disappears. It's I can't only, think yeah. about my bills. I can't think yeah. about my job. I can't yeah. think about I have to fix the roof. It, nothing. It's nothing. all out there, and I get to be in the moment of the music. And what's been really special over the past couple of years is, um, I've given my son, I, I got him some drum lessons. And so we have, we have a band room here. We have drums and piano and a PA system and yeah. amplifiers and everything. And, um, there's a colleague that I worked with at the radium hospital. That's a drum instructor. Okay. And so he's been coming by the house every other week and he gets a drum lesson. And I, let me tell you, playing music with your child <laughs> when you're in the groove I'm is, not sure there's a better bonding experience that you can have than playing that music is, with your kids.
0: That has to be cool. I mean, that uh, I always uh, I'm I'm a big Van Halen fan. I have been since I was a kid, and, and it, it broke my heart when Eddie Van Halen passed.
1: Oh, rest in but, peace. And, and as I much
0: know. and as much as I love Michael Anthony, the original bassist, I thought it was so cool when Eddie's son Wolfgang Van Halen came mm-hmm. into the band, and to see that father and son thing happening up there on the stage in a musical context. Was pretty cool to watch. So I can only imagine how uh, yeah. how you feel when you're playing with your son.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's it's absolutely awesome, you know. And um, when we first started out, it was mostly him playing drum beats and me playing some heavy metal riff or riffs that I'd written and goofing around a little bit. But recently, we found that it's better to just turn all the instruments on and just be more freestyle. Ah. So he's been playing piano a little bit more and he sings and I'll do a bass line and oh, I have great. a looper. I have a looper pedal, so I can just Oh, type in well, a drum beat.
0: who needs a band when you have a, a looper yeah. pedal <laughs> yeah. but i
1: do i i mean i i definitely do miss playing with other musicians that's sure. uh sure. something that i really enjoy
0: so you've been in a band before
1: yeah a couple bands nothing here in norway i auditioned for one band here dead trooper um years ago uh but i couldn't commit to it because i just got a new job as a scientist and uh-huh. i really just didn't have the time to do that but uh I mean, I would be interested probably in, in getting in some kind of old man 90s cover band <laughs> or something like that. Uh-huh. You know, I, it's, I'm kind of stuck in this time period from like 1987 to 1994, where if you look at my Spotify, it's, it's almost all songs that I listened to when I was in high school and college.
0: <laughs> but that's a good time period to be stuck in. I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm showing my age here, but I just don't have much enthusiasm for today's music i don't know when my enthusiasm for modern music stopped but i'm going to guess it was probably in the middle 90s and since then there's very little that i catch on to it's just it's it's too much of the same thing i call it factory music there's a factory out there somewhere that's just pressing out these songs with very little variation uh there's what i think is sad is that there's so much less musicianship what is that word musicianship in music today uh you have these um everything sounds so 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 techno uh yep. you know pop isn't even pop anymore pop is just slowed down techno music uh drum yep. drum machines and and uh and synth
1: And it's almost as if they're making music because they know the algorithm of what will sell the most.
0: Well, I think that's exactly what it is. I think you have people sitting somewhere in a building, uh, you know, wearing a a three-piece suit, um, making decisions about about how much money they need to make. And then they tell a group of algorithm readers somewhere that we need to make this much profit this year. Find the music that will make that happen. And It's sad. It's a sad thing.
1: But don't sound like an old man, you know, we got to be open to new types of music and
0: uh <laughs> I'm I'm open to new types of music, you know. I'll 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 turn on the radio or, or or I'll float through Spotify and see what's out there, but but uh in all honesty, there's very little new music out there that's that's doing anything for me. And if it's new music that's doing anything for me, it's new music that's being put out by old artists.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny too. When I got Spotify, I was like, "Okay, great! This will be great. I'm going to listen to all new types of music. It's going to really expand my uh, horizon. I'm going to be, discover new things." But what it turned into is a playlist from my high school years.
0: <laughs> <So. Yeah. laughs> oh boy, do you sit down and cry about prom night?
1: <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, sure, sure. We don't, don't we all?
1: Don't we all? Yeah. Well, you, something you mentioned a lot is I do get homesick. You know, and I do miss, I miss being in America. You know, I I think that, you know, it's, it's been tough times these past years, but it's such a special place and the people there are really cool and the food's good and there's lots of things to do Hey, and I get homesick.
0: With all of its faults, it is home and our, most of our better memories are there, you know? And that's not to say anything bad about Norway. You know, Norway has its pluses and minuses all in all. I'm enjoying living here, but it's not home. It's yes, just not I,
1: home. I agree completely. Yeah. But on that, on that, uh, I do want to say that it is fantastic living in Norway. I think the it's very cool. It's
0: a constant adventure and, and you touch on it right there with the quality of life. I enjoy not having to worry about where my next dime is gonna come from.
1: Yep.
0: It's easier. It seems to me that it is easier to make a living here doing what you want than it is in the United States, which is supposed to be the land of opportunity and the land of freedom. I feel more opportunity and more free here in Norway. And that almost yeah. hurts me to say that, but it's the truth
1: <laughs> for me. No, especially for since me. We, we, Americans pride ourselves on our freedom. Absolutely. And they think that they're this free free country, but there's freedom everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not just, we don't hold the capital on freedom. Freedom is in hundreds of countries, you know? So I, I think it's really good and, and you've gone through this experience and a lot of us expats have is to see America from the outside. Yes. I, I wish that every American could spend a year or two abroad and just kind of see it. Cause you don't see it the same when you're in there.
0: I'll tell you one thing. Um, up until uh, we moved here, we were living in Chicago. I lived in Chicago for about um, eight years. I'm from Ohio, but I lived in Chicago for eight years, right up until we came here to Norway. And, Everybody knows that Chicago is a city of haves and have nots. You have your extremely wealthy uh, areas and you have your extremely poor areas with some of the worst crime and gang activity that there is to find in the United States. And I have to say, I have to admit, I kind of got numb to that. And then I went home, uh, back home to Ohio for the first time. And now I grew up in the suburbs, or you know, out in the, the rural area uh, of o- uh, of Ohio. But I remember that first time going back and I was in the city to visit some family. And to me, it was this screaming example of fact. And so easy to see that at that time, at least that city in Ohio was a city of haves and have nots. Yeah. To see the poverty in the people is something that, that I don't think you can truly grasp, unless you're living in poverty yourself in the United States, or if you've come from outside the United States after a long absence and come back, and then you'll see it. To me, that is the biggest difference between the United States and Norway. Of course, you have some people who are struggling to a certain degree here in Norway, but you will not see that abject poverty that you can go pretty much anywhere in the United States and see.
1: You you touch on a good thing there, and there's been a few good documentaries on NRK lately that talk about this. I don't think... Norwegians realize the extreme poverty that we have in America. There are people that are really struggling there. There are people on reservations that are worried about water. There are people in inner cities that are worried about food, and yes. I mean, it's yeah. really extreme. And it, I'm hoping that with this new administration, we can start this kind of LBJ-type thing with yeah. war on poverty. Do you know? think Because that's the happen? number one problem. Do
0: you think it's going to happen? <sighs> I do.
1: I think, I, I think I'm this administration optimistic.
0: I'm very optimistic. I do believe that this uh, you know people can debate whether or not uh, Biden and the incoming administration truly cares about anything other than themselves. But I do believe that there has been so much um I mean, it's just obvious what America needs to, to focus on after these last four years. It's very obvious what the, the struggles of America are. So I would think that at least for a political advantage, the incoming administration will take, uh, will take up this, this task with poverty and the inequality that exists, whether it's racial or financial inequality. I do believe yep. they're going to take it up and do something concrete.
1: I do too. I, I, I don't mean to be so negative. The, the, the three things we got to work on are poverty, care, and education. If you can handle those three problems, then that solves a whole bunch of other problems. You know that. that so I just we really need to fix the poverty. Of course, we have a bunch of other issues. The gun violence is an issue, and the infrastructure sucks. And but I think a lot those things. things.
0: But I think, for example, the gun issue and uh, and, and you know, gang issues and, and crime issues will be solved if we can fix the poverty issue.
1: I agree. A yeah. healthy, educated society does good things, and all things trickle out from that. Absolutely. And that's one of the great things about way. There's
0: a trickle down policy that I can get behind.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. As opposed to tax cuts for the As rich. As opposed right?
0: to tax cuts <laughs> for the rich.
1: Oh yeah, but the, the wealth inequality over there is really a big issue. And over these past four years, the richer have become. It started with Reagan, so it's not a Trump phenomenon no, or a Trumpism no, phenomenon. No. But we need to really shorten that gap. You know, and really make sure that poor people have a living wage. So I'm hoping that one of the first things that the administration does is do a $15 minimum wage Bang, yes. right away. Yeah. Get that one done, because if you're making $7 an hour, there's no place in America you can live
0: on You can't that. live on that. You just can't do it. And for those who say for those who are so cold hearted as to say, well, you just need to set yourself up to get a better job than a minimum wage job. It's not that easy.
1: I hate that attitude. I
0: hate it too. I've seen it. I saw it as a police officer in the Chicago area. There are people living there and in other cities, but I know what was happening in the Chicago area. There are people who are living in abject poverty and they haven't seen anything else in their family for generations. They have no role model. They have no pathway towards a better life. So there comes a point where something has to be put in place by the government. Uh, now my libertarian friends are running away from me screaming, but at some point the government has to step in and, and, um, and yeah, give something to people, open the door at least so that you can get it yourself because right now the doors are closed.
1: If this, this whole attitude of, I got mine, you didn't work hard enough to get yours, is just terrible. And that's not
0: American. That's not American. Thank you very much. That is not American. And that is probably one of the biggest explosions of un american that I have seen during the course of this administration. That, that, that widespread attitude that, you know, if you're not one of mine, if you're not in my circle of influence, then, then you can just go to hell and, and I'm not even going to wish you good luck. That's, yep. um, that's that's not American. Not at all.
1: No, and also, I mean, you, the whole society benefits if we're all healthy sure. and educated and, and, and able to make a living wage. Break it, we all benefit.
0: Break it down to a household level. Uh, if everybody in your house is eating well, they're educated, they're doing fine, but you've got one who isn't, who is the exact polar opposite, that brings down the quality of life in that household. Then you can expand it out on a neighborhood level. If everybody is mowing their lawn, everybody, is, you know, there's no roaches and rats in the house and everybody's keeping <laughs> things clean, but you got one house that's just a dump and, and you know, it's going to bring the whole neighborhood down. And it, if you just expand that out on a national basis or on a world level, even, I think the the, the, the facts are there, the the it's an easy book to read, <laughs> you know.
1: Yep. And, you know, even if you, Biden's going to have a lot, Biden and Harris oh, are sure. going to have a lot to deal with. Sure. But show me you're trying. You know, the past four years has been no trying. No. You know, it, again, yeah, it's going to take a lot to solve systemic racism in our judicial system. That's a that's a big task. Obama wasn't able to do it. No, you know, but at least they were trying. Show me you're trying.
0: They don't even recognize they won't acknowledge rather that uh, there is such a thing as systemic racism. And that's 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 heartbreaking.
1: Um, Yeah. Well, and you were a cop. yeah, you were a cop, and uh, you know, I hear this thing about, you know, oh, there's a few bad apples here and there and so forth. But then solve the bad apples. Find ex- a way ex- to
0: get around that exactly. The worst thing to happen for police departments and for the citizenry of the United States is police unions. Uh, now I'm, I believe in unions, but what I'm saying is they need to change their 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 goals. They need to change their mission uh, in these police unions because now it's such that uh, police can do the most horrible of things to a citizen. Uh, we've all seen what's been happening these these past few years. They can do these kind of things, and the police union, rather than hold that officer accountable, you know, support him or her, but hold them accountable. Don't shield them. From the effectiveness of the law, don't yep. shield them from being um, from having to face consequences for for blatant wrongdoing. That's where these unions are going wrong. It is the unions who then lobby the local government, the state government, and the federal government. They lobby them to pass these certain laws that gives that give police undue amounts of immunity for the crimes, and I'll call it crimes. It's not a mistake. To kill an unarmed man. It's a crime to kill an no, unarmed man. it's murder. Exactly. So I think these unions are just, um, they have a misplaced loyalty. They really do.
1: Yeah, you know, I agree. And just to add on to that, I mean, my wife and I have both in our time in America faced harassment from the police. Nothing too serious. You know, we weren't. Beaten down or anything like that. Hold but, on, let me we're white. That,
0: let me fix. I was gonna say, let me fix the lighting on my phone here because I thought you were white. There we go. Okay, yeah, there we
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to be in my bedroom for this. Uh, my wife's working out in the living room, but but we're white and we yeah. face harassment. Yeah, I couldn't imagine what it's like to be a black man growing up in the inner city somewhere and you have to get pulled over and all of a sudden, okay, get my hands on the steering wheel and don't say anything. Yes or no, sir.
0: You know, let me, let me tell you this. You know, I, uh, I've been having this conversation with Snoopy for, for quite some time now, uh, especially our daughter, you know, she's 15. So here in in another couple of three years, she might want to go and study on an exchange student program in the States. And, if things don't change from the way they are now, I don't think I would feel safe with her going there as a black girl.
1: Yeah. And, and you would have to have the talk with her about this is listen, people Can are going to look at you differently. Well,
0: well yeah. let me, let me, let me get your hip to something real quick, Adam. Uh, I've had the talk with them already here in Norway. And I, okay. feel, I don't feel it's as, uh, you know, the dangers are as prevalent here in Norway, but, but that talk needed to be had. I've seen things here as well that I'm kind of yep. like ah okay
1: <laughs> yep there there is I, racism here
0: yeah yeah it's a different kind it's a little more subtle it's less brutal um how how can I say this i don't fear for my safety here in norway being a black man but i have faced more open discrimination here as a black man than i ever did back home in the states <clears throat> that's the truth so it's weird. It's a weird kind of racism
1: here. Yeah. You you bring up something in your podcast often too is that when you find out when they find out you're an American, then all of a sudden <laughs> that is. changes the dynamic of things.
0: Yeah. You yeah, know, so that, that's an
1: interesting thing.
0: You know, it's um Yeah, you know, it's almost as if they're waiting for me to say when was the last time I ate human flesh, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> how, how many generations ago was it that someone was brought from Africa to this, you know, they they, they kind of You know, they gauge my acceptable acceptability, if you will, on uh, how how American am I or how African am I. So yeah, Yeah. when I tell them I'm 100 percent American, then oh, it's like okay, okay, welcome.
1: Breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah, okay. And and
0: people have actually voiced that to me. They have actually said, "Oh, you're from America. You're okay then." And it's like, am I, am, I, am I supposed to thank you for that? But see, that's yeah, so that weird... it. Wouldn't be
1: okay if I was from somewhere else. But
0: see, that's that weird thing here in Norway. And I think when people say things like that, and like I said, they have said things like that to me. It's almost like they, well, it's not almost. They don't realize that there's a a, a large element of racism and bigotry in that statement. They don't get yeah. it. They, they just don't even don't, see it. No. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you know, I almost feel sorry for him. I almost want to give him a hug and invite him home to a cup of tea and and we have a little chit chat. You know. It's,
1: um, yep. it's different. But you're doing, here. you're doing good with your podcast though. You know, what are well, the, one of the good you. things, thank you. one of the good things, if we can switch topics here, sure, is sure. That I, you know, what I like about your podcast is that the diversity of guests that you have, you know, and, and that's kind of why I called you the Joe Rogan of Norway. Which you know, is a
0: humongous compliment because that guy is uh, someone whom I look up to. So thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you have yoga instructors, you have, Expat tax specialists, you have a stand-up comedians, so you never know what you're going to hear when you when you tune into your podcast. I think that's really great, um, and also you do this really good thing about relating to what it's like as an American living here.
0: Yeah,
1: I think that's one of the things I really enjoy about your podcast, well, and that's why you. I was happy to be on.
0: Well, thank you for that. You know, I'm I'm only doing what I enjoy. There's a bit of selfishness, there's a bit of ego in this. You know, I want to be entertained. I want to learn something new. I want to meet new people. I want to be inspired and motivated. And that is what I base my guest list on. You know, I'm going to ask people who fill in those holes, you know, someone who in, who, who I'm interested in, someone who motivates me, someone who entertains me. And I guess I'm I'm just fortunate that there's enough people who, who, who want to come along for the ride.
1: Yeah. So You're doing I, a great job, John. Well, thank you. It's, a, a, great, humbling, great it's a humbling.
0: Job. It's a very humbling uh, thing to hear. I still, I still can't believe uh, that I'm getting the response to this podcast that I'm getting. I still can't believe I had four days of national media last week, and my mind is still blown from that. You know, to be on national radio and national TV four times last week it's it's not that's not normal to me
1: do you, do you think that stems from the podcast
0: absolutely it does they've all told me it's because of the podcast either they oh. either these producers for these news programs have heard it themselves or someone has told them about it and then they contact yep. me so I, it, it's a blessing what can I say i mean I, i'm a, I am a very 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 blessed man
1: I say you're it like also you're also a very interesting character I mean former marine <laughs> uh, truck driver <laughs> Southside Chicago cop. I mean, that's quite a. Uh, CBN. you're like the Norwegian powerlifter champion or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's a uh, quite a Renaissance I, I, man type of thing.
0: Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm I'm just I'm just having fun. I'm just fortunate to be in a position that. And and again, it almost took me to. I had to move to Norway to get into this position to be as free as I am. And to be able to have the time and the ability to just do the things that I like to do. So yep. that, that's what you're seeing. I'm just having fun.
1: I'm that's just great. having and that, fun. And you know, you have a nice calm voice that you know, lets people have a conversation you know, push people at ease. I ah. listen to some podcasts, you know, like uh, Pod Save America or something where it's very tense and yeah. blah, 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 blah. You know, when I listen to your podcast, it's relaxing and it's soothing and you, and you really put the guests at ease and kind of get them to open up and talk to each other. That's that's a real art.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, you call it an art, but really, man, I'm just, I mean, there's really no technique to this. I'm just, uh, you know, you're a guy who I think is very cool. I'd like to call you friend and brother and I'm just talking with you, you know, and and anything that happens is as, as, as organic as it can be. It's just, it's just a, you know, it's a conversation. I think a lot of, you know, you mentioned other podcasts that sound a little tense, a little harsh, a little bit less, uh, a less, less entertaining. I think it's because they're so scripted, Mm. um, to me. And I think to a lot of people, the best podcasts are the ones that are not scripted. The ones that where it's it's either a guy or a, or a lady solo just riffing on what they want, or it's a conversational type. You know, this isn't an interview. This is a conversation, and I th- yeah. and I th- I think it puts it puts me at ease. It puts my guests at ease, and it puts the listener at ease. So I think I just fell. Fortunately, I just fell into the right thing just by being clueless. <laughs> I th- I was clueless. I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to start it. I didn't know what it was going to be. I just started doing it. And I found out that the best way to do it is to not try. Just be myself.
1: Yep. There it is. There it is. Yeah, I, I, I thought about, you know, writing down a couple bullet points before this call. and Okay, maybe I should talk about this. Make sure I get this and about cancer <laughs> research. Make sure I get this and about living in Norway. But what I thought was, no, just have a conversation. I just think- sit there and, and I'm on the phone with John and that's it.
0: And I, I think that's that's why I like Joe Rogan's podcast, because it can be about the wildest of subjects. You know, he's had some of the smartest, most intelligent people in the world on there, and all they do is sit and talk shit for two hours. But I love that.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, you get some kind of, you know, I can't, no name comes to mind, but he could have, you know, some, sci- there's this guy, I cannot remember his name. He has his own podcast as well. He's a Russian immigrant. To uh, the United States. He always walks around. He looks like men in black. He's got like a skinny black tie and a black uh, suit. I can't remember his name. Um, MIT educated one of the best uh, uh, minds uh, to be found in the world. But when he comes on Joe Rogan's podcast, they just sit and talk shit and laugh and just, you know, it's just a conversation that that most people otherwise would never get to hear. So there's yep. something there's something about the organicness of that that that's that's attractive to me. That's the kind of podcast I like to listen to.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and I mentioned this earlier in our phone call, you know, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the guests that Joe Rogan will have no, on. No. He puts some guys on there that I absolutely hate.
0: Absolutely. Alex you know? Jones, for example. Yeah.
1: Uh, he was on a couple weeks ago, yeah, you know, and yeah, it's it's yeah. crazy talk and I'm just yeah, like, "Oh my yeah. god, why are you giving this guy a format? But you said something that is right. Give them the format. Let's hear them out so we can understand that side and try to help bring it closer together. So as much as I hate when he has those Ben Shapiro's or Alex Jones <laughs> ben Shapiro, types. Ben Shapiro, Shapiro,
0: I would just yeah. like to, I would like to dump a bucket of water on him and then just wring him out like a wet wash rag. He just gets on my nerves so bad. However, i uh, how do I say this? He gets on my nerves when I hear him, like on his own podcast or if he's just talking. But when he's with Joe Rogan, I like that conversation because you're hearing Ben Shapiro where he's not trying to push any agenda. He's just talking. I mean, he's still an ass, but it's listenable and it helps me to learn something about that guy's inner workings to hear yep. him just talk in a relaxed atmosphere.
1: <laughs> and, and he'll also have people like Bernie Sanders on, you know, yeah, and which so was a great I mean,
0: move, oh, by the way, so, that was great. so
1: you, you're getting both sides. Yeah. So, you know, I get some issues with some of the guests he has. Sometimes I think he's, hes he, I'm not, I don't necessarily agree with Joe a lot on a lot of his opinions. Yeah, no, but and I don't either. He, yeah. he brings in that diversity, though, and yes. that's why his podcast is so successful. And that's I mean, why, think, yeah.
0: And that's my point, too. You know, I, I don't, uh, I don't like, I wouldn't want to hang out with Joe Rogan. I don't think he and I have the same interests. Um, we definitely don't have the same views on society, but what I do respect about him is, is the, the, the variation of his guests and that he is not afraid to have that controversial figure on his podcast.
1: Yep. Yeah. I agree.
0: You know, I, I, I've been, I've been wondering for quite some time. This is far from a political podcast. I'll talk about politics from time. You know, you and I touched on a couple of things and I can have a solo episode where I'm riffing on my political views, but it's not a political podcast, but I have played with the idea of finding some ultra right wing Trump supporter and having them come on and then just discuss and debate. I don't
1: know. So I think that would think, be man? fantastic. You think do it. Be cool.
0: You think that definitely, would be cool? yeah.
1: definitely Just as long as it doesn't erupt into some kind of shouting match and then no yeah, one I'm gets anything out of it. Yeah,
0: no, I'm not the shouting type and anybody that I would invite on, they would have to understand that I'm having them come on for a discussion. Not for not for sure, yep. man. Yeah.
1: Or have that person on with Tiffany and have them argue with each <laughs> other. You
0: know, <laughs> Tiffany, if you're listening, I love you to death. Tiffy Tuesday is going to come back in a couple of weeks. Uh, by the way, she's been a little bit busy with some schooling and some uh, some other things. She arranged the uh, the, the Halloween the um, Halloween the haunted house rather uh, down in her town. So she's been a little bit busy with things, but I'm going to bring her back, and she will probably, if I have that controversial figure on, she's probably the one that will lead that discussion. She has a way with words.
1: Yeah, she's great. She's actually how I got turned on to you. Okay, yeah. Because we were in this uh, Facebook group, Americans in Norway, or Americans Living in Norway, I can't remember which one, and then it became very political. So it broke off into this group, Americans in Norway, political discussion. That's right. And what it it was, was Tiffany and me yelling (laughs) at these Trump supporters and it was actually at that point in time that I said, you know what? I'm not doing any more politics on social media. I'm not going to change anyone's mind. It does no good. It's only making me angry. I'm not having fun with this. No. So no. I just avoid everything political. Smart on, uh, move. On it's Facebook. Not, it's no. not a
0: fun discussion to have on social media.
1: No, I and mean, what am I going to do? Am I going to yell at my one uncle that's crazy? You know, <laughs> what, one good t- technique that I have, though, is that I have friends on Facebook that are crazy conspiracy theorists, big Trump supporters, and they post all this crazy, crazy stuff. But what I do is I silence them for 30 days.
0: There you go. And then
1: I don't have to hear all their crap and all their feet all the time. And then every 30 days I get a reminder of, oh yeah, that's still out there. And then I cook another 30 days and that's very I, helpful for me.
0: I have begun over the last two, two and a half years, be started to use that function quite a bit. And believe me, it does, uh, it does make you feel better.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So Tiffany, yeah. So T- Tiffany is, um, she's a bit of a lightning rod. She's not afraid to speak her mind.
1: Yep. I've never met her personally. Oh, she's the best. I, I love her posts on Facebook, and I think that we have very similar views on pretty much everything. Let me
0: tell you, the way she posts, that's the way she is in person. No, that's awesome. No filter. She is exactly what you see in her post right there.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. So, and she brings a good perspective, too, of being the you know single mom living in Norway, struggling artist, yeah. putting herself through school. So it's a really good person to have on your podcast and to dig into. And
0: she will, uh, she will disagree with me, but I look at Tiffany as a success story and an inspiration. Um, you know, she will tell you that she's struggling and she is, but in that struggle is an enormous amount of success and betterment. Um, she's been through, uh, she's been through some things, but she's still standing and, and her, her path going forward is just, I mean, it's, it's, it's looking pretty bright. I don't know if you've ever seen any of her art. Have you seen some? of? Oh, things? it's amazing. Oh, amazing. I, it's... I, I was
1: shocked when I saw her art. I, I've amazing. seen
0: pieces that she's done. I'm like, Oh, that's a nice photograph. And it's like, wait a minute. No, wow, no
1: that's, that's real. It's pay-
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, she has, um, it's almost a savant type of skill that she has with putting these images down on, on a canvas. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's
1: unbelievable. I am not an artist, so I am always impressed when people can do that kind of stuff. It's amazing. She
0: she is a struggling artist at the moment, but I don't expect her to be struggling forever. Uh, Eventually somebody is going to latch on to, I tell you, if I had the finance, I would sponsor a, uh, uh, a showing a gallery for her work. Mm -hmm. That's, that's how much I believe in it. I would, I would invest in that. I would sponsor it and, 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 and just put it out there. That's how good that woman is. And that's how much I believe in her. But I'm not rich nope. yet. I'm not rich yet. Not yet. I'm working <laughs> on it. I'm working on it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: No. So what's, uh what do, what do you have in the future now? Um, If, if we can go back to that uh, fantastic job that you have, are you working on any um, big breakthroughs? Do you have anything that you're able to talk about, about what's going on development wise?
1: Um, there's not so much I can talk about right now. Um, there's actually a lot of different competing technologies coming out right now for cancer treatment. In addition to what I do with the monoclonal antibodies, there's also a whole other world where it's called CAR-T technology, where they're actually taking your T-cells out of your body Transfecting them to recognize the cancer cells, and then utilizing your own immune system to attack the cancer. And that's that's a fantastic science and a great technology. It's a little expensive, I think. Um, that's well, going to be a problem.
0: That's kind of like plasma replacement therapy. Uh, people do it for shoulders, knees, and whatnot, where you you take your own um, you take your own blood cells and cultivate them, and then put them back in. And they're kind of yep. bui- they're kind of built in with the right amount of juice, if you will, that you need for your body. Is it pretty much the same concept?
1: It, it's similar. It's because similar it, because it,
0: because it's it, it's individual per patient, correct? You couldn't take yep. another person's.
1: Uh, no, because they would reject that. Those cells exactly. are not your your own cells. They'd recognize as those as non-self, exactly. and therefore they'd be rejected. Yeah. So, uh, but there's, there's actually a lot of really new and exciting technologies coming out for cancer treatment. It's, um, I think we've made a hell of a lot of advancements since certainly when I was a child where cancer uh, diagnosis was basically a death sentence yeah. So now people yeah. can live a lot longer. And I think a lot of the therapies are not just about killing the cancer and, and getting you into complete remission. It's about treating it and, yeah. and having more of a, a, a caring type of approach where we can treat your c- symptoms and make you live a, a lot better healthier life a lot longer so i have a lot of faith in technology i have a lot of faith in science i think there's a lot of good things coming through the pipe right now absolutely Um, just hope for the best and i hope that the kids get inspired to get into science and really go for it and to keep pushing and to stand on our shoulders the way that we've stood on the shoulders of so many great scientists in the past
0: yeah absolutely well, I tell you, I, I have so much respect for you in the, in the job you do. It's it's important work. Like I said, I, I said it half jokingly, but the truth is, is something that you do might save my life one day or the life of someone I love. So you, uh, you're doing some important work, man, and uh, hats off to you. Hats off to you. I,
1: I appreciate that. You know, a lot of it is for me, aside from obviously helping sick people get better, is I really want to kind of work to expand mankind's knowledge and understanding of science in general so that maybe I won't come up with a cure, but maybe someone will read my papers and stand on my shoulders and come up with some new type of technology. Yeah. So it's this whole being involved in this minutia of the progression of mankind's knowledge. It really, I really enjoy that aspect of it. But of course, uh, you know, it's, it's the patients first. I yeah. used to I used to teach kids at the radium hospital and, what I would do is before we'd walk through the doors, I go see these doors here. Some people aren't walking out of these doors. So do your job.
0: There you go. You know,
1: and I find really inspired, Hey, people are waiting on us to do our job. We're doing God's work. You know, so let's, you, let's, let's so, do it.
0: So you taught there. Now, was that in regie of a, of a university or?
1: Yeah, they have the, the Norwegian Veterinary Institute had a program where they, they, had, they wanted some of their students to go through and work with the real scientists okay. and spend some time and, and talk about what they do, show them the equipment, kind of walk them through what an experiment would look like. And I found that experience very rewarding. I really oh, enjoyed oh, it, yeah. inspiring kids. I mean, I, I hope I did a good job. I hope I made it exciting and cool, and you know, to really well, kind of get them into isn't, it.
0: Isn't that such a good uh, good thing to do? I mean, I was uh, I was a teacher for a while. Uh, my first job, actually, in Norway was as a teacher and a uh, project leader for a school project. And that whole thing about influencing a child's life and seeing, of course, there's a lot of heartache, and you know, a lot of times you don't you don't win. But when you do win and you do see that you've changed that child's life, oh, my gosh, there's, there's very few things that make me feel better than that if, when I think yep. back on those days. And it was pretty interesting because this was back in 2002. So I see these people who were my students at one time and I see them now as adults. And it's like, yeah, it worked. <laughs> you know, they, yep. took, they took something and carried it with them throughout their life.
1: It it, being a teacher is probably one of the most noble, noble professions that you can do. It really is. I have, I have nothing but respect for teachers, especially now that we went through a little period here where I had to homeschool my kid and Uh, my wife and I were running from meeting to meeting and to sit down with him and to have the patience and he gets frustrated. And I just, I have nothing but respect for teachers. Yeah. I think they're, they're doing really great work. Yeah. They're underpaid in America. That's something they need to fix oh, in America. Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Know, well, the first lady now is an educator, so we'll see what happens.
1: We'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. I hope for the best because I mean, that's the, one of the problems is that you come out of university. Well, I could get a job working for industry for, for twice as much money or I get a job as a teacher and make barely living wage. Yeah. So you're losing all this talent that these people could be great teachers, but why would I be a teacher for $40,000 a year when I can work for $80,000 a year? Yeah, you know, yeah. So pay teachers a lot. Pay them, more, really pay them
0: more. They're doing a fantastic job already, but pay them more and they'll do an even better job because a lot of stress. I do believe that you can pay for stress to go away. <laughs> I believe that. So pay these teachers so they can relax a little bit better and focus on our children more.
1: Yeah. But it, and it goes back to healthcare and education. There you go. Healthcare, go... poverty, and education. Full Just circle. hammer those three things and you'll have a better society in the end.
0: Full circle. Full circle. Yeah. Well, listen, man, uh, <laughs> thanks for doing this. Uh, let's call My this, pleasure. let's call this conversation number one because we're not done yet. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna keep going here. Uh, you'll be back. I again, certainly hopefully. Hope so. Uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to meet up somewhere. We, we Americans, we need to, we need to have some kind of, uh, some kind of get together. I mean, there's so many of us that only know each other online and we need to, need to see some real faces. <laughs>
1: I agree. I agree. I think I've only seen my family for like eight months. It's been crazy.
0: It's crazy. It's crazy. But when you have a good family, it's not that bad. So
1: yeah, they're okay. (laughs) They're okay.
0: They'll do. They're still alive anyway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, listen, uh, thank you so much for, uh, for doing this. I truly appreciate it. Adam O'Shea, everybody. Thanks brother. Thank you. And for those of you who have been listening, please go on and check out the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen on my YouTube channel, the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Check it out. Bye, everybody. Thank you and
1: goodbye.